If you want to kill somebody, you should make a plan and find a place to dump a body before you even pick a victim. And that is William George Bonin. Bow, bow, bow. The freeway killer. For a second there, I thought you were about to admit that you were planning to kill JJ. Oh, I always um, have a plan and a place. <laughs> it's just a matter of when he crosses that line too far. He'll, one day he might fuck around and, and find, find out. out. This is Jen. This is Becky. This is Too Close to Home. Yay! Yay! Pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. And of course, we're done to talk about William Bonin. I'm really excited. This is going to be a little bit of a long, gruesome series. So we might put some stories in between, you know, as palate cleansers so you don't vomit. But let's do this. I'm so fucking Because it's going to be a one, two, three, part mushroom stamp episode. Forewarning. If you don't like rape, um, you don't (laughs) like. Hold on. I totally. (laughs) Child molestation. You don't like graphic descriptions of the abuse of corpse and bodies, kidnapping. Are we talking about Army Hammer now? (laughs) There's a lot of trigger warnings in here. When we get to the really, really bad stuff, because like the bad stuff, I'm not going to tell you to fast forward, but there's some really, really bad stuff that many times I had to take a break during this like, okay, I need to go watch like My Little Pony (laughs) or something because somebody put on some Care Bears because I got the stare. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it gets rough. What is it? The a hundred yard stare? <laughs> I've seen some shit. So for the first episode, we're really going to dive into his childhood, his teen years, and his adulthood, so that we can really see and really intake the ingredients that go into serial killer soup. I love. That's one of my favorite recipes. Okay, me too. I have the cookbook. <laughs> So William, fuck out, f- fucking watch out, Betty Crocker. We got, <laughs> Be- we got Becky Johnson <laughs> on the <this> scene. <laughs> so William George Bonin was born on January eighth, nineteen forty-seven, and is known as the Freeway Killer. William George Bill Bonin was born in Willimantic, Connecticut, the second of three sons, each of whom were three years apart, born to Robert Leonard Bonin Sr. and Alice Dorothy Bonin. Let's talk a little bit about his fantastic parents. Both of Bonin's parents were alcoholics. Ooh, nice. I know. His father was a machinist, an ill-tempered war veteran, and a gambling addict who was frequently physically abusive towards his wife in the presence of their children. Aw. Doesn't that just sound precious? That's like the bouillon of cereal killer it soup. Is, yes. <laughs> we're starting to boil the water, put a little core ingredients in. <laughs> a cube of this, a cube of beating, a cube of malice. Yeah. And he is known to have occasionally beaten his sons during his wife's absence. Oh, you know what? It's nice of them to fill in. It is. <laughs> in contrast, his mother was an overbearing, codependent, and passive woman who suffered from wild mood swings and spent much of her free time at the French Club, a local bingo parlor, as her sons remained unattended at home. I thought you said fridge club, like fridge refrigerator. I was like, I spend time at the fridge club too. Sometimes I get hungry and I just want to build a dill pickle or something. Exactly. <laughs> nope, nope. It's classier. It's French. French, French to get you now. Makes you feel better when you're going to the local bingo hall when you're like, I'm going to the French parlor. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> Bonin's father lost their home in Andover, Connecticut in a high stakes poker game in January of 1950, forcing the family to reside with Bonin's material grandmother, maternal. <laughs> She's a material girl, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> and continuing to spend his money each night by gambling and drinking at local bars. 
So there's a couple different stories if you uh, look him up. Um, one says the home went into foreclosure, a um, couple different things. But I read a book, which I will cite in my sources later on. I should have that in the beginning. Um, that he, in multiple places, uh, say he lost it in a uh, poker game. So he bet their fucking house in a poker game. That's it. It's a wrap. I'm stabbing JJ right in the fucking throat. We call that a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of deal. Hold on. I got these magic bees. <laughs> right? I'd be like, and when when someone tried to show up and take it up, like, okay, listen here. Listen. <laughs> I don't know what kind of bullshit game y'all were playing in your mom's basement, but you're not taking my fucking house. No. Nah, not today. Not today. <laughs> you got the deed? Because this bitch, we know it's not paid off because this Joe here can't stop gambling and spending all our fucking money. So you know I didn't pay my mortgage off early. We got several mortgages. So you won't have to go through that shit first and all the other liens. You Thank know what? You. On second thought, here, the bitch is yours. Here's the mortgage You're payment. welcome. You're he- welcome. Here's my login. <laughs> Take that motherfucker with you. (laughs) Consequently, the siblings were severely neglected as children with their parents seldom present in the household. While living in Mansfield, Bonin attended Annie Vinton Elementary School with his younger brother, with whom he was frequently seen roaming the town. At school, Bonin was known to classmates as a juvenile delinquent who was often in trouble or absent, poorly dressed and unkept, aggressive with peers, and had no observable friends and was often bullied for his strange behavior. Ashamed of his sexual attraction to younger children and male teachers, Bonin isolated himself from others to whom he struggled to relate. Neighbors in Mansfield later failed to recollect either parent spending any significant time with their sons, and one neighbor, observing their unkept, dirty, hungry condition, occasionally provided meals and clean clothes to him and his brother, younger brother out of sympathy, noting that they made their own food. So even the neighbors are like, these poor little churns. Let me take something over to them. Somebody throw them a scrap of bread, okay? (laughs) Ain't nobody feeding them. On September 6, 1953, at the age of six, Bonin's mother placed Bonin and his older brother in the Franco-American Orphanage located at 357 Pawtucket Street in Lowell, Massachusetts. So this was less an orphanage and more students were kids the parents were unable to maintain control. So it was called an orphanage, but really it was like, like an alternative prison. school. Yeah, there we go. Kid <laughs> prison. I'm here for it. I was about to say, I was like, you know what? That had to be a happy day for them to get out of that. Oh, no. Kid prison. Mm-mm. Okay. And since it was a Catholic covenant, you can just imagine. Those fucking nuns, man. Oh, boy. Let me tell you something. So it was known to severely discipline the children it housed for major and minor breaches of conduct with punishments administrated, including harsh beatings, stress positions, repeatedly What's a stress pa- position. Oh, we'll we'll get all into oh, man. the fun that was had there. <laughs> repeatedly pacing staircases until exhausted and partial drownings in sinks filled with ice water. Yes, that face says it all. First of all, you gonna drown me, then you put me in ice water? What is this, Titanic? <laughs> in more extreme cases, orphans slash kids that their parents didn't want faced alleged assaults such as having their heads dunked in toilets and being threatened with knives by older children, as well as being left with hematomas on their heads and buttocks from being beatings received by the nuns. Damn. Bonin recollected being physically assaulted and bullied by other children at this orphanage without intervention by authorities 
before being defended from his peer abuse by a 13-year-old orphan in 1955. Yeah, that was back in the day where they're like, spare the rod, spoil the child. We got to beat beat the demon out of him. Yes. This is for his own good. That's exactly what they did. So then Bonham met this, met this kid, and he was like, you know, he'd been there for a few years. Um, you know, think of the the one running the running the common, if you will. <laughs> and so he's like, I got you, bro. Boo, you know, I'm going to make sure you're all right. <laughs> but of course, with that, there's a toll to pay in order to be protected, as is all good jails and prisons. <laughs> Mafia-esque. Listen, according to Bonin, this individual escorted him to a restroom where Bonin agreed to sexual advances from this individual under the condition that the older boy's hands were bound with the towel to make Bonin himself feel safer. So basically, Bonin was like, I'll suck your dick <laughs> if we tie your hands up so I know you ain't going to, like, box me or something. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, box my I'll, ears, fuck you know, me grab up. my head. And... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was an automatic gag reflex. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I got thrown off. Because <laughs> that's my exact reaction, too. And then, I can imagine you writing... Do it again. I'll I'll bite it off. Loosening his restraints, the orphan bound and performed fellatio. I love that word. (laughs) Not doing it, but just the word itself. Does everybody in the room know what fellatio is? Oh, JJ. JJ, are you lying? JJ, fellatio is masturbation. No, fellatio is when it's oral sex. Uh, I Googled it and it said. Really? When you, uh, hold on, let me, I got you, boo. My computer Googles for me. Uh, My computer the definition. Googles. Define fellatio. I would tell Jimmy to insert a fun fact right here, but I don't feel like that would be so fun. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm incorrect. Jennifer's correct. It's oral stimulation of a man's penis. <laughs> I love how clinical you made that. <laughs> oral stimulation of a man's penis. <laughs> I stand corrected. That was sexy. <laughs> I'm here for it. (laughs) Before attempting to rape him and forcing Bonin to perform fellatio on him. Following the assault, Bonin vowed to never let this happen to him again. Later claiming in life that no abuse had taken place by staff, he confessed to being forced to punch a fence by nuns when he misbehaved. So in the um, book... There was a lot of interviews from other children that had been at this, um, not necessarily had any interaction with Bonin, but... But experienced the place. Right. And um, they talked about, like he said, being forced to hit the fence. That's Uh, a weird punishment, but sounds fucking brutal. Yeah. Imagine just having to stand and punch like a wooden fence. I would be like real dramatic about it. Like, oh, do you see me? How hard I'm doing this? (laughs) I'd be pulling out all those acting skills. (laughs) Every bit of them. (laughs) I always wonder why they don't all gang up and like, Attack them hoses because that's what I'd be. I'd be like, we need to rally together. Baby Becky was going to lead a fucking revolution. Yeah, damn right I was. You better no, be glad Tammy not raised a you and loved you. What's it called? A coup. Yeah, a coup. Yeah, I prefer a coup. Did you Did you try to get Derek and play for a coup? Like we're taking this bitch over. Not Becky. We do this every week. First of all, I was sweet when I was younger. I grew into the hell raised heathen that I am. No. That we so admire and adore. And JJ loves. <laughs> um, in the kitchen, they had one of those like steam cleaners. 
and they would hold the children's head under one child until he had burns on his face from being held underneath the bed. Oh, that's fucking horrible. The nuns wore what the children referred to as clackers on their waist. So think about, do you remember those things that they give, I think they still give out at birthdays, and you yeah. fling it back and forth? Yeah. So yeah. that's exactly what it was. It was two by fours with one solid piece and then two on the side, and they said when they walked, you could hear them clack. And these clackers were two small pieces of four by four pieces of wood. They said you could hear them coming down the hall by the sound of the pieces of the wood clacking together. These clackers would be used to beat and abuse the students. As neither parent visited Bonin or his older brothers, whom staff forbid from interacting with one another at the convent, he had become worried his parents had died. If siblings were caught interacting, they would again be subject to abuse. It is believed that Bonin sustained a head injury there as later on medical exams showed damage to his frontal lobe, which we all know is the worst one to get damage mm-hmm. to. Like all that personality. Bonin remained at the Covenant until May 31st, 1955, when he was returned to live with his parents in a home owned by his maternal grandfather, located at 465 Stafford Road in Mansfield, Connecticut. Bonin and his brothers were frequently placed in the care of their maternal grandfather, a child molester who had sexually abused his own mother until adulthood. Bonin's mother suspected that her dad was molesting his grandsons during the prolonged instances they were under his care. But, you know, she had appointments at the bingo hall. So, as is more important things to deal with. Bingo! <laughs> While at Mansfield, Bonin started really showing his true inner darkness. During this time, a neighbor witnessed Bonin put his brother up against a tree, stand there, and then throw sharp darts at him while he was there. In 1957, Bonin was arrested for stealing metal tags from vehicle license plates. And he was placed in a juvenile detention center for these offenses and various other minor crimes. So then he just started, you know, don't ask me why they were stealing uh, metal tags. But I guess it was the same reason I remember kids stealing when I was um, a kid. breaking off signs. Well, that and they would break off the things off people's car, the Mercedes Benz mm. signs and stuff. Oh, God. Yes, I remember yeah. that. And it's like, what was the fucking point other than just damaging someone's expensive ass vehicle? Exactly. L- let me bend their antenna. What? What? Yeah. God, remember when the inten- there was antennas? The fancy ones that would come up like and turn the yes. car on? <laughs> well, Those were the days. Mm-hmm. And they will never know the struggle. Have they to roll not. down your own fucking window. <laughs> and the anger you could put in it. <laughs> While incarcerated, he was molested by an adult counselor assigned to control and monitor Damn, the juvenile. he did not have any fucking chances He did whatsoever. not. And I feel like all So this is this the carrots and the potatoes of the soup? It is. <laughs> I feel like all this is important to include because when you find out what he did later, it is by no means excusing it, but it's like... Makes oh, I, sense. Yeah. So you went to the covenant, got beat, your, your ass got beat by nuns, your granddaddy molested you, a kid in the covenant molested you... Now you're you were at, given fellatio, so and then still got fucked up. You yeah. know, like I will do this con- consensually, even though you can't consent at that age, right? As long as you tie your hands up. Now you're at the juvenile center, getting yeah, molested damn. there. So, following his release from the detention center, he began sexually fondling his younger brother. After six months, Bonin's younger brother informed their mother of the fondling, prompting his parents to force Bonin to sleep in his own bedroom. That was it. Told him, don't sleep with your brother anymore. Go in your own room. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, it, you don't it was like time. It. Be like growing up a Josh Duggar. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on. <laughs> Bonin later confessed to fondling and orally compilating younger boys and stripping in the presence of a 10-year-old girl. At age 12, he stole a car and ran it into a police car. He only got probation and had to pay $300 in fines and damages. So all that that we just talked about has all happened before the young age of 12 years old. Damn. 12. That's fucking wild. Regret things with his friends, you know? <laughs> well, all the adults Maybe molesting the, him. You know, I don't know if I call those hood rat things. No. Or very, no. very tragic <laughs> events in his life. Listen, I'm trying to cope right now. This is really <laughs> dramatic. <laughs> In late 1960. See, that's how you gauge how more how much more I'm either drunk or uncomfortable I am, is how many jokes I'm about to tell you. Yes, same, same. I'm like, we're all uncomfortable. Let me make an inappropriate joke. <laughs> Let's bring that level up. <laughs> that should break the ice. <laughs> no, no, things are just more awkward. Yeah, but look on their faces. Did not go over well. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think we'll fix the problem. If I make another inappropriate joke. Yeah. Well, they're not all hits. <laughs> what? People are walking away. Okay. I raise the bar. You know too what? High. In that case, I'm going to start doing this a lot more often. <laughs> this is a people deterrent? Oh, well, yeah. Glad I found that out. <laughs> Where was that in middle school? <laughs> in late 1960, Bonin's mother kicked his father out of their home earning custody of her children with the court declaring his father unfit on grounds of spousal abuse and frequent drunken absences. Listen, everybody already beat their kids in those days. Like, right? Everybody beat everybody. It was already violent. How? And then nobody got in trouble. Mm -mm. How fucking violent do you had to to have been for the court be like, listen, you took it too far. (laughs) Because, yeah, you could beat your kids and that was okay. So you really had to beat your fucking kids. You had to be like making everybody uncomfortable like, Listen, when you start giving them black eyes, you might want to back off. <laughs> when there's frequent hospital visits, we got to stop, right? <laughs> right. Somebody's going to There's only so something. many doorknobs they can run into. <laughs> Not to make light of the no. situation. Again, coping. More jokes, the more I'm coping. <laughs> Bonin's father had also recently lost his job at the American Screw Company. <laughs> I know. It's 1960, so. But One would say he got screwed. One would. Uh, dun, dun. But he was trained on a specialized type of machinery. So I guess there was just the regular old screw and bolt machines, and his dad was like working the corkscrew machine. <laughs> I don't fucking know. It just said he was specialized on one particular type of machinery. So while this limited his jobs because there wasn't corkscrew machinery everywhere, I don't mm. fucking know what it was exactly. It was specialized. So. This helped him obtain a well-paying job in Downey, California as a machinist. With this prospect of new income and better finances, guess what? His parents got back together, <laughs> as they always do. You all know what? Sudden, she's like, I thought I didn't love you, but we all know I can't let this go. Turns out I do. <laughs> when you, when, what days of the week you get paid? Thursdays. Good. Good to know. <laughs> Let's go out to dinner Thursday and reconcile. <laughs> In early 1962, the family relocated to 2417 West 187th Street in Torrance, California. Jimmy's Fun Facts. 
Perhaps it's no coincidence that during the formulatory years of William George Bonin's violent tendencies, there was something else being built at the same time, and these two things would be forever linked to each other. Around the time of the Bonin family's move to California, a highway system in and around the Los Angeles metropolitan area, specifically Los Angeles and Orange County, was in the process of being built. This was the very same highway system that Bonin would terrorize in the years to come, giving him his epithet, the freeway killer. They made a big deal about it in the book. They were like, when he moved, they were building the highway that he later was going to be highway notoriously. To hell. <laughs> so I, as you see, am bullying Jimmy into doing what we want. As You know what? He likes it. He's asked for it, okay? Exactly. Nobody's brought charges yet. <laughs> He's afraid. Jimmy, there is a uh, ways out. I'll slide you a 1-800 number later. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I need you to do the podcast. <laughs> You're stuck. Try and tell somebody. I'll deny it ever happened. Bonin attended North High School in Torrance, where he was regarded as a social outcast who scarcely interacted with his peers. Although his younger brother later recollected that Bonham was an outwardly well-behaved teenager with an apparently caring personality who he nicknamed Goody Two-Shoes for his temperament. I was slightly confused on this part because I'm like, wait a minute, you mean the kid that stole a car when he was 12 and ran into a police cruiser and was stealing shit off of cars and went to He's the, the Goody Two-Shoes? Like, yeah. how bad are these other kids? <laughs> exactly. <God> damn. <laughs> how bad are you guys? Like, he'd give you the clothes off his back, Paul later remarked of his brother's generosity. If he had a bag of candy, he gave it away. And I'm thinking, again, are you the brother he molested that's calling him a goody two-shoes and that he's so kind he'd give you a bag of candy? Is that how he lured you in his bedroom at night? I got a bag of candy I'll give you. Bonin's mother also later recalled of her middle son. According to Bonin, he was something of an awkward, shy loner who generally felt uncomfortable in the presence of his peers. Consequently, Bonin is not known to have formed any long-standing or close relationships through his adolescence. He was also self conscious of his facial features and refused to smile in public due to his misaligned teeth. His primary hobby as a teen was bowling, something at which he was very good. This hobby would last through the course of his teenage years. Often he'd be falling asleep in class due to late nights at the bowling alley. Bonham frequently missed school and was suspended on one occasion. So he wasn't too terribly awful in high school. You know, he just went bowling all night and slept in class. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do every week. Same. During the summer... Between his junior and senior year, he had a bit of trouble, which was petty theft. Pleading guilty to petty theft. I don't know why that made me laugh. I was like, he had a little trouble with it. A little bit. A little bit. I feel like after all the things he's done, like, this, this, is, this is tame. Tame yeah. for you, sir. Again, he's the goody two-shoes getting arrested for petty theft. <laughs> yeah, I go act like he all better than us and everything. <laughs> uh, his petty theft charge was for $56. Um... Bonin and a friend were out joyriding and were running out of gas, so they stole a weight scale machine and a newspaper receipt box from a supermarket. A citizen in town seen them, and they were quickly found by police trying to pry the box open and take the coins. So I don't really exactly know what a weight scale machine is, but obviously the newspaper box, back in the day when they used to have newspapers and you put the coins in them and the gumball machines, they just stole those and tried to pry them open and steal all the quarters out. In early 1966, Bonin dropped out of high school and obtained employment with the help of his father. Bonin's mother 
allegedly extremely emotionally controlling and protective of her son, reportedly refused to acknowledge his acts of molestation, as well as his general escalating antisocial behavior exhibited by Bonin throughout his adolescence. So, you know, basically he started out molesting his brother, and then as he got older, he was very antisocial, didn't have friends. Basically, his mother and everybody can notice, like, eh, something's not right, but she just ignored him. As, you know, a responsible parent does. Of course. Bonin was known in the town for preying on kids in the neighborhood. One neighborhood recalled Bonin offering X-rated movies and free beer to boys on Angle Street. Bonin's mother was unable to sleep and frequently worried he would be arrested for petty crime or crimes involving children. So you know what she did? Hmm. She prayed. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? (laughs) Works every time. And warned him. His mom always believed he may have suffered brain damage when she was pregnant with him due to the beating she received from his father. So, you know, we got beat while in the womb, beat at the orphanage, all these molestations, you know. His brain did not stand a chance. What do they call that one that all the wrestlers get in the football oh, guys? the football guys. Like, what is it, JJ? CT. Oh, look at him. That is our... Uh, what Back was checker. It? Back checker. He, was, he didn't have to clickety-clack this time. <laughs> Nonetheless, Bonin's mother later expressed extreme disappointment and contempt for her middle son's sexuality and actions, evicting her son from the household on at least one occasion for undisclosed reasons. Lacking motivation and frequently borrowing money from his parents, Bonin joined what? What, Jennifer? What do all serial killers join? Military? There we go. In December of 1966. You know, I'm not going to state anything, but Jimmy, you also were in the military. Just put that out there. And I'm not going to say anything either, Jimmy, but Bonin also joined the Army. Was he in the mailroom? Because uh, Jimmy, when we met, he was in the mailroom. No. Oh, you got that going for you. Be lucky. I thought there was one more letter. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it's okay. No, I thought there was one more. (laughs) Fucking love you. I almost said it, but then I was like, don't bust his balls in front of people too much. Do that in the privacy of your home. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bonin convinced a friend to join the <laughs> army with him. During this time, Bonin did have a girlfriend named Linda. This was mainly to keep his mom off his back. After enlisting, he and Linda decided to marry upon his return home. Bonin and Lennon became, Lennon, Linda became engaged. This engagement had largely been at the behest of his mother. So, Bonin joined the military with his mother's pers- persuasion, who had hoped that it would cure his inclination towards chaos. I mean, honestly, <laughs> between joining the military and praying, I'm surprised he didn't turn out just fine. I mean, <laughs> his inclination towards chaos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's just chaos, baby. It's That's all it, right. Yeah. It's not violent. A prayer, a little sprinkle of holy water and a little military. Lord right Jesus, up. can you put him in the military and just solve this for me? And get him a girl. Amen. Hallelujah. All fixed. I know he likes boys, and I know he likes little it's kids, a- but if he gets a girlfriend, fix it all right up. Fix what it is right it? Up. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, it's like, what are you in the recession? Uh, oh God, there was this church the other day. It was like, if you ha- are you feeling a recession, come here and get salvation or something. I was like, what? You yeah, pay the bills. <laughs> prayers are going to pay my bills. Prayers are going to. Prayers are going to bring down the price of milk and eggs. That's where the song Living on a Prayer comes from. (laughs) (laughs) He served as a cook for four months in Alaska and then signed up to become a helicopter pilot. He failed to get into flight 
Don't like Jennifer over here. <laughs> <laughs> he failed to get into flight school. You know, there's school. worse things. You could be like those nerds over there talking about my Gandor flag. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I've never heard him talk so loud. <laughs> Gondor. Get it right, ho. It calls for aid. <laughs> He's waving some kind of flag. <laughs> it's not that I'm getting laid flag. I'll know that. I know that. <laughs> so when he didn't get into flight school, his ego <laughs> took yet again another hit. Instead, Bonin trained as a door gunner on a Chinook CH-47. For every show of improvement in Bonin's life, there was an opposite show of trouble. On October 25th, 1967, while on leave in San Francisco, Bonin was arrested on suspicion of grand theft person. He denied the charge, and with the intimate departure for war, he would not be able to attend the hearing. Bonin later said, The beef got cleared up when my commanding officer sent the court a letter. He got me out of having to appear. So basically, he was going to have to go to court for this. And then they were like, well, there's also this big giant war going on right now. <laughs> we just got some other things that are taking priority. So he's kind of got a death sentence anyway. <laughs> we'll just send him on the front lines. He's a Chinook gunner. So he's in a helicopter with a gun. People are going to be shooting right at him. Yeah. Hey, he asked for this. <laughs> so like, cool, cool, cool. We'll call it even. <laughs> no worries, Direct Sam. quote. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. End quote. <laughs> Stationed in Fu Loi Base Camp, he served five months of active duty in the 205th Assault Support Helicopter Unit during the Vietnam War as an aerial gunner, logging over 700 hours of combat and patrol time. And FYI, a lot of sources say he was in the Air Force, but the lady that wrote the book said she actually got his, um, requested his military records and he was in the Army. So don't come at me, bro. <laughs> Fact check. My friend of a friend says she got the records. She got the records. <laughs> and and we all know, they do say that he uh, did, every source says he was in this combat and was a gunner and all that. And listen, for those of you that have no affiliation or knowledge of the military, we all know that the Air Force does not do frontline stuff. <laughs> no, 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 no. They do chair stuff. Yes. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm correct. <laughs> Just kidding. We love the Air Force, too. <laughs> Memorial Day special right here. <laughs> I fucking love you. <laughs> Bonin received a marksmanship medal, Vietnam Cross of Gallantry, Good Medal Conduct, Vietnam Campaign Medal, Vietnam Service and Air Medal, and earned his GED while serving. But, as I said previously, with every positive comes a negative. Bonham would later claim that his experiences in Vietnam installed a belief with him that human life is way overvalued and that humans generally overestimate their value in society. <laughs> says Hate to the, say it. Says this guy. <laughs> this guy. He's like, you know what? I'm just letting you know. Not all of us are A's. Okay. <laughs> I hate to say it, but when he says that humans generally overestimate their value in society... I'm here for it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Like, everybody, like, what will they say? Bitch, they so worry about what you going to say. Ain't nobody paying no damn attention. Everybody thinks they're so important these days. You're your own main character. They're their main character. Ain't coming across. <laughs> we all are important, though. <laughs> well, you're important to me. Thank you. And you're important to me. <laughs> oh, my God. I love you. And you guys, okay, whatever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We love you. <laughs> 
It's not at all because I'm financially dependent on you, Jimmy. It's not at all that. (laughs) No. Mm -mm. So again, humans generally overestimate their value in society, (laughs) emphasizing feelings of power and independence while serving in the while in the service. Despite this, he is known to have risked his own life on one occasion while under enemy fire to save the life of a wounded fellow soldier. For this act, Bonham received a medal in recognition of his gallantry among the numerous other medals I mentioned. According to Bonham, he engaged in alleged consensual relations with four young girls and had a quote-unquote number of homosexual encounters in Vietnam, as well as a 25-year-old female prostitute in Hong Kong. So all of that is for some interviews. He was like, yeah, so I was in Vietnam. I was fucking this girl and this girl and a prostitute. So see, I was straight for a little while. We didn't speak the same language, but her eyes said, I consent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm here for it. (laughs) Bonin served nearly two years in the Army before receiving an honorable discharge on October 25th, 1968 at the age of 21. Upon returning home, remember, he had a fiancé at home, Bonin discovered that his fiancé, who by this stage had given birth to their son, had left him to marry another man. <laughs> Bonin settled into working as a gas station attendant. Feeling betrayed and frustrated, he returned to live with his parents, whom he resented for frequently requesting his help. Several family members noted a marked difference in his behavior following his military service. Bonin refused to elaborate on the changes in his behavior. Uh, the book that's written is written by a um, psychiatrist that interviewed him while he was in prison. And when they got to that part, he wouldn't talk about the change in his behavior, but he hints at some of it later on. So now we're going to get to his first conviction. <laughs> Not them childhood juvenile ones that are supposed to be undisclosed, but they gave us the records anyways. Yeah. Um, looking at you, state of, where were we in Connecticut? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody's been there. Don't worry. <laughs> on November 17th, 1968, Bonin encountered 14-year-old Billy Jones in Arcadia, California at 9 p.m. while driving his mother's white Chevrolet station wagon just cruising around. So Bonin pulled up next to Billy and asked for directions. This was a tactic he would often use to break the ice. He asked... It's one of those things that I'm like so glad that you can't do anymore because if somebody rolled up and said, oh, how do I get here? Bitch, you got a phone? Exactly. Google it. You ain't about to steal me. <laughs> I ain't about to be trafficked. Not today. First of all, she's lying. She'd be like, hold on, let me pull it up on my phone. Do you not have signal? Listen, I got signal. I got you. You boo. are so right because literally at HEB, we and Jimmy were walking in the day and someone asked me where a liquor store was. I was like, or you go right across see, here. In front see, of you. <laughs> she turned out someone asked for direction. I would tell them. She's lying, y'all. She's lying. I lie like She'd have got in the car and been like, start driving. I'll show you the way. <laughs> I don't know. No, 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 don't worry. I'll walk the rest of the way back. It's good. I don't know how she survived. I, I don't, don't either. Know. Thank God Jimmy was there. I probably would have gotten their vehicle. <laughs> Liquor store? And I'll it was a van. It wasn't even... I even uh, commented yeah, on yeah, how yeah, big yeah. the van was. Oh, my God. Did you also comment on how it had no windows? <laughs> they were tinted, okay? I can't. I can't, y'all. I can't. Look, JJ's looking up ways to save Jennifer from a van. <laughs> That's called survival the fittest, and obviously I'm not the fittest. <laughs> <laughs> So he asked him if he knew where the Santa Anita racetrack was located. The boy informed him that he, in fact, did know where it was, but that it was too late to catch the races. Bonin told him, no, 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 bro. I'm not trying to catch the races. I got a horse, and I'm trying to stable it. Bonin did said, he have, like, a 
a horse trailer? Oh, no. no. <laughs> what are you been keeping no. that thing in your tree? He was just cruising around in the car trying to find stables. Oh. He was going to go pick up his pony later. Yeah. <laughs> and take it to the racetrack. <laughs> Who am I? Who am I just, to sit there? And- just trying to set the scene for you. <laughs> I was like, is he riding around with a horse trailer? Well, that's what I was like, too. I'm like, wait a minute. They just said he was in the car. They didn't say he had a... Oh, okay, okay. I see what's going on here. All right, all right. I was like, is he doing a Walmart special? Or like, you know when mm-hmm. you go to Lowe's and you're leaving and there's this woman with a little tiny convertible trying to put a grill <laughs> in the back and it's fitting in an inch. Like, okay. ah, it'll be fine. First of all, that's going to be me when I leave here. <laughs> so don't come at me like that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge me. I'll put it on the top and bungee cord, that bitch on there. <laughs> I'm getting it home, though. I'm getting it home. One way or another. <laughs> I'm always like, it can fit, it can fit, it can fit. It's like, like, I don't think it can. I'm like, it can. I, I literally, before we got our truck, we had to put a bunch of mulch in my car. And they're like, that's not going to fit. I'm like, you haven't seen this trunk. You know how many dead bodies I can put in here? <laughs> and then they were like, we're very unsettled. Didn't even laugh. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't laugh. No. They just like, ma'am. I'm just saying, mulch does weigh like a body. <laughs> it's a little loosey goosey. You know what I'm saying? Just like a dead body before rigor sits in. Still no joke. No one's no, laughing. Nobody. All right. They're not all hits. <laughs> Where that came from? Okay. So Bonin told him he wasn't trying to attend the races, but again was just looking for a place to stable his pony. Bonin said he knew this was the perfect ploy when the boy's face turned into a large grin. After exchanging a few more pleasantries. Bonin offered the boy a ride home due to it getting late and cold. The boy accepted and climbed into his car. Immediately, Bonin began to ask the young boy about oral sex. The youth attempted to flee the vehicle in response to Bonin's repeated questions about homosexuality. Bonin growled and squeezed Jones' genitals before disclosing his sexual motive and parking behind a closed shopping center. Retrieving the youth from his vehicle and handcuffing him, Bonin choked him in the parking lot before threatening to murder and sodomize Jones if he did not comply with orders. Bro, I can't. It's about to happen. Keep fighting. Always, y'all. Keep fighting. Unless you're dumb like me. Keep fighting. (laughs) Bonin raped the minor as he pleaded for his life, knocking him unconscious during the assault. Jones was then left on a park bench by Bonin, who threatened to kill him if he reported the assault. Returning home, his mother promptly reported Bonin to the police. The little boy got home, mm-hmm. obviously a hot little mess, and his mom was like, no, 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 what we aren't going to do is not say anything. We call him a popo. <laughs> but Bonin had went outside of the area where he lived, and he wasn't going back to that area anytime soon. He started operating closer to home in the South Bay coastal beach cities. Four more attacks, almost exactly like the first one, took place in roughly weekly intervals over the next six weeks. So we can see the escalation here of our friend. And this is not even the tip of the iceberg of what this man has done. On November 26, 1968, at approximately 12 a.m., Bonin picked up a 17-year-old hitchhiker, John Treadwell of Torrance. Bonin began asking him about gay people and homosexuality before accelerating the vehicle and producing a handgun. While Bonin parked his mother's car in a secluded area, he raped the young man before threatening to kill him if he reported him, claiming he had friends who would aid in avenging him if he told the man of the assault. He often refers to the police as the man. (laughs) 
Why the man always bringing me down? <laughs> right. You tell the man. I'm, I'm just trying you. to molest a child. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. You would think I was trying to commit murder. And I say, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> During an assault, Treadwell was bludgeoned with a tire iron. Oof. On December 4th, not even just a week later, 1968, it was reported to the Torrance police by 17-year-old Alan Pruitt that a man with a medium-length dark hair and olive complexion had offered him a ride before deviating from the highway and handcuffing the boy who was extensively sexually assaulted in the vehicle. While driving, the suspect became visibly angry before asking the minor whether he knew there were homosexuals in the world and homosexuality. The victim reported the incident to a teacher at the high school, who in turn reported to the vice principal, which caused a delay in the reporting to the police. Five Just weeks. call 911, y'all. That's it. Like, what are you going to, you're not wasting, it's literally what their job is. It's not wasting time. Just fucking call 911. Yes, they were following the chain of command. I don't know. Fuck that chain. Five weeks later, on January 2nd, 1969, Bonin offered a 12-year-old, Lawrence Bretman, in Hermosa Beach, California. Ignoring the boys' pleas to let him go, Bonin began threatening Bretman and parked north of Hawthorne Boulevard, where he forced acts of sodomy, molesting, and robbing the boy under the threat of a pistol. He was fucking 12. What'd you rob him for? What's he fucking dum dums in his pocket? <laughs> Got a Lego, maybe a Hot Wheels. Right? He then threatened to kill the victim if he ever reported the incident. On January 19th, 1969, at approximately 1 a.m., it was reported that Bonin had picked up 18-year-old hitchhiker Jesus Mongu, asking him about homosexuality before offering him $20 to orally copulate him. When Jesus attempted to exit the vehicle, Bonin punched him in the stomach and chest before squeezing his genitals. Squeezing the genitals is That's a thing so he does weird. through the whole time. It is so fucking weird, isn't well, it? Remember when the Rasputin episode, the one guy was like so mad he squeezed the like he just grabbed his junk and yeah. everyone's like... I just can't imagine the looks everybody's face like the what the fuck just the confusion and the pain and the you know what I'll tell you what this week every time JJ makes me mad I'll grab his junk and I'll tell you like if we can figure out what the reason for it is <laughs> I'll just grab it and squeeze it you might, that, might, <laughs> it might enjoy it so you have to really put the nails in it you know what oh saying? yeah I'm not being nice about it <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, <laughs> probably would We'll report back to you next week. Our thoughts, both of our thoughts on the um, process. <laughs> I'll tell you how it was for me. He can tell you how it is for him. If he can still speak. Yeah. <laughs> I won't have felt a thing. <laughs> During the assault, Bonin threatened Jesus, stating, I'll rip your nuts off if you don't cool it. This victim was also sodomized. By this point, extensive efforts were being made by the local police to locate a potential serial rapist that fit Bonin's description. On January 28, 1969, at 2.30 a.m., policewoman Peggy Duval confronted Bonham. He had a frightened 16-year-old runaway, Timothy Wilson, present with him in his mother's vehicle. Noting Bonham's frantic state and similar profile to the rapist, she promptly searched him and retrieved handcuffs. During the request, Bonham repeatedly advised her to incarcerate him before sobbing, insisting he was not responsible for his actions. At one point, Bonham stated, Please, you've got to help me. You should incarcerate me, not let me be free because of the way I am. Apparently, he said this numerous times to every officer during his arrest, during his booking process, everything. He kept telling them, y'all, just fucking lock me up and throw away the key. I ain't right. And everybody was like, <laughs> right. some up there ain't, you know, I mean, it's a little. And everybody was like, it's cool, 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 cool. I got a few crayons short of a shed or whatever those people say. 
nothing's working right. And everybody was like, it's cool, cool, cool. I'm just going to let you know right now. I like to grab testicles. Don't know why. Well, part of that sounds normal. <laughs> They're like, it's all right. We're sure you didn't mean to. <laughs> it was an accident. Boys will be boys. He was indicted on five counts of kidnapping, four counts of sodomy, one count of oral copulation, and one count of child molestation against the five individuals he had abducted and assaulted. Or in the case of the final youth, he had just abducted and attempted to assault since the previous November. So we're in January. It's since November. He has abducted five boys and assaulted, sodomized, populated, all kinds of shit. That's a lot in just a short amount of time. Very much. In each instance, Bonin had handcuffed or otherwise restrained his victim before forcibly engaging in sodomy, oral copulation, and methods of torture, which include bludgeoning about the head with a tire iron, choking one victim until he neared unconsciousness, and, of course, the infamous squeezing of the victim's testicles. So this is where what we're going to learn about him is he is very cunning when it comes to working the judicial system. So he was searching for a loophole by painting himself as a victim of sexual or childhood abuse. California law at the time stated that a sexual, this is quote, sexual psychopath is any convicted criminal not punishable by the death penalty who suffers from abnormal sexual desire of a kind and degree to constitute him a menace to others. So basically, if you can have yourself deemed a sexual psychopath, then they foresee that you need to go to a mental hospital and that you can be cured versus criminal punishment. So he was like, cool, cool, cool. That's what I am. Let's cure me. Cure me, please. Hit the streets. <laughs> I would, I too, like if you told me, you know what? We could take you here and we can cure you of your mental issues or you can go to prison. Cure me. Cure me. Always cure me. And then it'd be like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of situation. Right. In March 11, 1969, Bonin underwent two psychiatric examinations. If found to be a sexual psychopath, he would require treatment. If accepted, he would be remanded for a 90-day observation period to see if he would be labeled a mentally disordered sexual offender. If he was, then he would be confined to the mental hospital for an indeterminate period of time for treatment. So basically... How do you even treat this? Like, how do you... How do you cure a sexual psychopath? Oh, this was back in the day when they thought, you know, wait till you hear some of the shit these people said. Why you <laughs> You're going to be like, there's many times that I had to be like, I need to Google this. Like, initially denying early childhood abuse, Bonin later confessed to being fondled at the age of eight and suspecting he was molested on various occasions between nine and 12 years old. He suspected? Suspected. <laughs> it may or may not have, have been happened. a molestation. I don't know. Might have Let's been a dream. See. Which way do you need me to go to be cured? <laughs> <laughs> what gets me into the jello line? <laughs> In May 1969, Bonham recounted to a probation officer his recent stressful separation and admitted his guilt in molesting male youth. Although he also expressed desire to start a family and become a pilot upon release. Sure, sure, sure. As soon as you get out, we're going to give you a pilot license. Wink. Exactly. <laughs> he also expressed a belief that his Vietnam service contributed to his criminal behavior, emphasizing his difficulty in seducing female partners since his return. In his final evaluation, he was found to be seriously lacking insight and responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can't say that. He did tell them, lock my ass up. He did. <laughs> I'm responsible for some weird ass shit. <laughs> and when no one listened, then he was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I can be cured. Fine, fine. I believe you guys. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> In 
in all actuality, it's kind of their fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cannot take responsibility for you not listening. <laughs> right? Bonin pleaded guilty to molestation and forced oral copulation and was sentenced to the Atasagaro State Hospital June 4th, 1969 as a mentally disordered sexual offender considered amendable to treat. So, basically, they were like, he's done a lot of bad shit, but we can fix him. We could have, like, every woman every in this woman. world. Yes. <laughs> yes. I could fix him. I could change him. him. Don't mind all those red flags. He I- might have a misspelled tattoo. He might wear some, you know, uh, wife beaters at all times to fancy restaurants, but he's mine. All mine. And I will fix him. <laughs> What's to be fixed? He sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a real star. <laughs> Bonin arrived at the state hospital on June 17, 1969. It was a max security facility founded mainly for treatment of sexual psychopaths. So see, I would hate once to work I, there. Yeah, once I found that, I was like, eh, "Prison sounding better." Yeah, <laughs> just a bunch of sexual. You're like, you know what? I can never complain again. <laughs> yeah, like you know what? Psych, <laughs> psych, 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 psych to the Co. prison. <laughs> If at any time it was determined that Bonin was faking, he would be remanded back to court and sentenced to do time in prison. I'd be like, faking, faking right here. <laughs> Send me to prison. <laughs> at least I know how to hustle in there. Exactly. I, 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 I don't want my booty taken all the time. <laughs> Not, no. <laughs> Take me away. <laughs> the terms of Bonin's sentence were 90 days at ASH for evaluation and treatment. But if rejection for long-term treatment, he would be diverted to the prison. So basically, like, you got a 90-day probation. We're going to check you out, do some examinations, see if you need to go here to, to prison. Bonin was subjected to a battery of psychiatric examinations, which revealed that he possessed a higher-than-average IQ of 121 and displayed traits of manic depression, sexual sadism disorder, and antisocial personality disorder. Those all sound very fixable to me. I don't know about you. <laughs> Just an armchair. I'm just saying. Psychiatrist sitting here reading some. Telling you that we can cure him. <laughs> I can fix him. Fix him. His first exam was by Dr. George Beyer. Bonin stated he realized he was sick mentally. Not sure why, but he believes Vietnam contributed to him learning no. to become aggressive. <laughs> that part, yes, I do think. Yes, but it's like you left out, sir. You. That was it. That was all it is. This is a soup. That is the potatoes and carrots. You got the meat over here. You got the bouillon already from day one. You was Your brains was scrambled in utero. <laughs> but if you think about it, prior to the Vietnam, none of his crimes were violent. That's true. It was all when he got back. And I mean, you do learn to be violent in war. I mean, there's nothing more the army teaches you during war than to kill a bunch of motherfuckers and fuck them up. <laughs> exactly. It's pretty much the premises. <laughs> Jimmy, is that why you're so violent? <laughs> Day one, here's your uniform. Day two, kill motherfuckers. <laughs> That's the Training one, two. Complete. <laughs> kill motherfuckers. No R involved. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. He admitted his guilt and made statements that are reasonably valid and is anxious to have treatment. That's what the doctor said. Bonnet also revealed that he got the idea of using handcuffs on his victims after seeing prisoners handcuffed in Vietnam. Bonnet was initially diagnosed as inadequate personality, sexual deviation, pedophilia male. Bonnet completed the first 90 days in a leisurely, as-I-want-to attitude. He had times of aggression and showed inability to accept his homosexual tendencies. So he'd be like, yeah, 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 I like little boys and males, but I'm not gay. Come on, I'm not gay. 
No homo, bro. No homo. <laughs> they were like, mm. it's like uh, all the other ones. Uh, was it American Horror Story? Roanoke. He's the one character's in the back of the car. He's like, have you ever heard of gay for pay? Gay for the stay. <laughs> gay for the stay. <laughs> but at the end of the 90 days, he was again diagnosed as mentally disordered sexual offender amendable to hospital treatment. Again, that mendable. <laughs> Bonin participated in therapy sessions. It was described as attentive despite an unwillingness to participate in horrendous socialization skills. <laughs> He's attentive, but he is horrible at socializing. He, he grabs people's genitals all the time. He listens to everybody tell these stories of horrible things they've done. But he's not really willing to participate or yeah. socialize. <laughs> so he just comes for story time. Just I just want to, this is my porn, okay? Exactly. I'm like, no, no one realized that they're like, what was going on here? <laughs> All right, whatever. He's getting ideas for later. <laughs> Who am I? Around I'm just saying like, if it's a psychotic, what is it? Sexual psycho unit. Like, I'm just saying group therapy might not be therapeutic. I know. I'm like, nobody thought that we're going to take all these violent sexual offenders and let them listen to each other's stories that that was good. Nobody was ever like, I don't know if that's a good idea. It sounds we're, like guys like in a, like a frat, like our old guys that used to be in frats in college is like, back when I played in college. And da, 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 da. Exactly. Same, sir. Same. <laughs> like, yeah. what are we doing? No. Yeah. <laughs> Could you be a counselor in that? I'd be vomiting the whole time. Like, hold on. Uh, God. I'd be writing down notes for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What day was that? I'm going to need you to slow down, sir, and enunciate. <laughs> <laughs> Around the nine-month mark, Bonin had aggressively forced his sexual desire onto unwitting victims. So he was sexually assaulting people while he was in there, too. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The hospital was, was starting to report he was not being reached in therapy <laughs> and needed to get back in line or head to prison. Bonin then made a change and showed improvement. Just long enough to get through his next 90-day assessment. But in August, it was found he had made a new friend and was having regular sexual relationships. So basically, like, he would hit his 90-day mark and they'd be like, okay, cool, cool, cool. We're going to do another 90 days here. And then he'd be like, um, like, fucking around, raping people and sexually assaulting him. And they'd be like, bruh, like, we were making so much progress. You're going to have to go to prison. And they'd be like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And he would start being good, make it through his next 90 day, and then turn around and fuck around again. <laughs> So he was 100% what we call playing the system. Oh, absolutely. In the presence of several patients, Bonin is known to have divulged his intentions to eliminate any future victims of his sexual assaults if deemed necessary, and he was classified as an extreme sociopath with a high probability of recidivism. You know that word, right? Recidivision? There, no. Recidiv what is it, Jimmy? Recidivistic behavior under periods of psychotic breakdown so basically i'm just saying i don't think they were reaching him i don't think they were either <laughs> i don't but think he was very amenable they said he'd be like so when i get out and i rape again this time, it's not a if when yeah when i do i ain't leaving no witnesses <laughs> he's saying this in therapy and they're like well, i think we can change them <laughs> i can okay. fix them okay. i can fix them cool, cool cool this is we're gonna we change call... that when back to an if Oh my, I guess this is what we call falling through the cracks, but I don't, I feel like these were just giant gaping holes in the floor, but whatever. Who am I? <laughs> just a girl doing a podcast with her best friend. That's it. That's all. Just a doctor of cryptozoology. So sexual sadism wasn't the specialty. It wasn't. <laughs> no. 
His extremely disturbed methods of social interaction were also viewed as hindering his own treatment. Bonin learned to parrot back what he You know perceived. what? I'm going to be a psychologist. Because I, I feel like I, those all obvious things. Like, I think we're not reaching. <laughs> I think he's not going to be a, a good candidate. <laughs> I don't feel like he's amendable to treatment. <laughs> but who am I? Bonin learned to parrot back what he perceived psychiatrists desired to hear from him, believing he could manipulate the psychiatrist into granting him an early release. One psychiatrist wrote of Bonin that he wanted to straighten himself out, but doesn't know how to go about it. I'm like, did they just give out these degrees back then? Like, you know what? You look like you know some things. You got the glasses. You're very studious. <laughs> I feel like you'd be a professor. You know what I mean? Done. <laughs> Here you go. Who really knows the mind anyways? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's all just a guess anyway. So get out there and guess. It's fine. It's fine. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. On December 10th, 1970, his report stated, he says he wants to change, but his be behavior does not mirror his words. 12 days later, an order was issued for Bonin to return to court. On January 14th, 1971, he was transferred to the L.A. Superior Court where he would await a judge to decide if he was to go to prison or back to the state hospital. Bonin had written a nine-page letter to the doctor requesting continued treatment at the hospital. This prompted the judge to call ASH and speak to the doctors. They admittedly stated he was not responding, nor was he going to respond to treatment, and was a danger to men, women, and children. I really want you to remember that sentence, okay? The judge ignored them and gave Bonin a stern lecture and then sent him back to the hospital. Like, sir, did you not know what, what the fuck are you doing? So at this point, the doctors are like, all right, enough's enough. Like, a stern lecture. Okay. Okay, that Burn. really solved it. Thanks, you know, Josh. I need someone to go over to Russia and give Putin a stern <laughs> lecture so we can stop all this war nonsense. I got the man for you. I'll write him a nine-page letter. <laughs> totally. So when he returned, the doctors immediately were like, all right, y'all, we got to start figuring out how to get this motherfucker to prison. After many reports and reaching out to the deputy director of mental health programs, they were finally able to get an approval to get him transferred to the prison. On July 7th. You know they had a party that day. Oh, yeah. Like, if you work with sexual psych uh, psychos and that one's the one that you're going to cheer about, like, whoo, girl, he must have been by yet. By yet. On July 7th, 1971, Bonham was sent to the California Medical Facility after being declared unsuitable for further treatment due to repeated sexual engagement with inmates, two of whom were mentally challenged, which resulted in his being beaten on several occasions. Wow. In addition to alienating and irritating fellow patients. <laughs> the irritating. <clears throat> Low scale there. <laughs> so they're like, I'm just saying, not only did he fuck with other inmates, he irritated them. <laughs> While in prison, Bonin was subject to further psychiatric examinations, which in a summed up way stated he was told he told enough truths in his life to display superficial insight. So basically they would be like, you know, tell us about your childhood. So he would tell just enough for them to be like, oh, he's so insightful. He really sees the inner things that are bothering him. <laughs> he was then diagnosed as an explosive personality, which I am diagnosed with as well. Because <laughs> you're dynamite, baby. <laughs> and homosexuality with aggressive and sadistic features. Features. You mean mainstays? <laughs> <laughs> June 11th, 1974, after doctors concluded he was 
no longer a danger to the health and safety of others. Again, I could be a better doctor. Girl. And I almost get myself killed at least once a month. <laughs> You're always a danger to <laughs> I'm always a danger. During his time at prison and through his therapy, he was a roller coaster of improvement and anger. Many reports from the doctor stated he was unwilling to change and in one report states, almost at a loss at how to proceed in helping this individual. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, dog, they ain't prepared me for this. <laughs> when I went to my Cracker Jack school where I got my diploma out of the box, they didn't tell me nothing about folks of his likes. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, maybe I'm out of my element. <laughs> but months later, they would downgrade his diagnosis and state, quote, unquote, his identity as a homosexual and his identification with the gay community should provide the outlet he needs. So he just needs like a good time at Pride Week or something? Like, what is exactly. that? That's exactly what Do they you realize said. everybody else in the parade is in danger now? <laughs> they were like, I think if he just got with some gays, if he just went it would to straighten him a right drag up. brunch, you know, something along those lines. He would be fine. It'll be great. What? No, God, everybody's in danger. Everybody's in danger now. I don't really know what's going on here. I was so confused through so much. Like, what like, do you think homosexuals are like? Because I guarantee you that's not going to fix it. Apparently their thought process was he's gay living in a non-gay world. You know what? So if we put him in the gay world, he would feel included and he wouldn't feel so out of sorts. And then he wouldn't want to If only they had clear anymore. eye for the straight guy back in those days, they'd be like, yeah. you know what? We need to get JV in here. <laughs> Somebody got to work on this man's brain. I'm like... <laughs> Part of me, you know, their their mind was like, we just need to get him with his people and he'll God. feel accepted. But that's a good concept if you have a gay kid who's like depressed. Let's get him in the community, show that he's welcome, that he's yeah, accepted. Empowering. Doesn't work for child molesters so much. No. <laughs> I bet you the same people are the ones like, I don't want no transgender man in my bathroom <laughs> molesting my child. Listen, that's not how this works. <laughs> Exactly the people that were doing this. I think if we just get them with the rest of the gays. You keep your con with your con. That has always worked in history, right? Always. always. There's no such thing as civil rights or the apartheid. <laughs> Jesus Christ. History tells us anything. <laughs> it worked. So well. God damn. In June of 1974, I am proud to say he was cured <laughs> and he was released. <laughs> In August, the court hearing, it was recommended for five years of probation due to him seeking employment and therapy. <laughs> so basically, his five years of probation was to make sure that he stayed employed and he stayed seeking therapy. In July of 1974, Bonin rented an apartment in Hollywood with intentions of circulating within the adult gay community, but was largely unsuccessful due to his poor social skills and soon relocated back to his parents' house. Because well, that's working, healthy. I know. That's a great environment, too. It is. And probation was like, sure, sure, sure. Family's good. <laughs> and he briefly worked as a bartender in Fountain Valley, switching his job for employment to a truck driver at Montebello Delivery Firm named Dependable Driveway in December 1974. How would you like for him to be your delivery guy? His employment was terminated in February of 1974 for wrecking a trailer. 
In March of 75, he attended community college classes following his termination and increased anxiety. He returned to his old habits of and began genitals. to troll for and pick up hitchhikers <laughs> for potential sexual partners. Uh, oh, my God. Cured and last long. <laughs> In the summer. That was, they, they didn't pay for the premier cure, okay? They didn't. Just the bottom of the line. <laughs> Just the standard cure. That's got a 48-month turnaround tops. In the summer, Bonin met and established a serious relationship with a single mother to a mentally challenged five-year-old little boy whom he had met at a Beverly Social Club in L.A. They see each other often and eventually become engaged. I can Well, that wasn't going to be the end of part one, but since we're at an hour and nine minutes, I should probably go ahead and wrap that up and let that be the end Listen, of part one. Listen, it flies when you're like in this story. It flies when you're talking about molesting children. <laughs> <laughs> You know, no such time as fun as it is when it comes to molestation. And about the prison telling you you can, you can be cured for them. I can fix them. Yeah. <laughs> when the I can fix them go, oh, we can't fix them. You got to worry. <laughs> as much fun as that was, there's even more fun to come. But we've, we've pretty much gotten out of. We've, we've wrapped up right there, wrapped up his. We laid the foundation. Yes. You know. The foundation for what we're about to really get into. The soup's bubbling. The next episode. Um. Shortly right into it, we get to get into um, Colts and D and D. Oh, and yeah, Jimmy, you but, just said it. Spoiler alert! Back then, people that played D and D were considered to be um, evil, and they um, only wish they were that cool. Yeah, <laughs> apparently it was like the gateway into the devil and murder. Nowadays, and- just like look at my color dye. <laughs> I love the smell of fresh dice. <laughs> I need to get some more acrylic paints to paint my figurines. <laughs> now it's just for nerds. Roll for intuition. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you my hopefuls. They'll also be my sources for parts two, three, and four. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to one and done it, okay? We'll, we'll recap them at the end. All that's interesting, William Bonin, Wikipedia William Bonin, of course, CDCR, California Capital Punishment Inmates Executed, 1978 to present, William George Bonham. And for some reason, I don't have the book listed on there. So we'll get that to you on that season, our season two. <laughs> Come back. We've got it for you. <laughs> got it for you in episode two. Now you have to. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> you are obligated. So, Jennifer, uh, take us out with your wonderful exit spiel you always do. So we're going to have some new merch coming out soon. If you have any other ideas of merch that you'd like or your own Tune Close to Home stories, reach out to us on the socials, Insta, TikTok, Facebook. I think that's all our socials. Uh, as a social as I want to be. And <laughs> more social than I want to be. Don't forget to like and follow and rate and subscribe and whatever else they say on YouTube. Leave on, us a review. Uh, yeah, Even if leave it's us to review. tell us that we curse too much and Jennifer's too loud. We're still here for it. I honestly feel like that's a compliment. Okay. I want to be loud. I'm here. We can't all be at the same speech level. The world would be very boring. As Emma says, then everybody would be alike and then it would just be so boring. So boring. And you have to have that coherent one and then the incoherent one. Just babbling. Yeah. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, until next time. Stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it so close to home that you want to see William Bonin's ponies and you take a ride in his car. Uh, yeah. yeah. We can But do them. keep it too close to home that you play D&D with your bestie. Aww. Shout out. Jimmy and JJ. Aww. Two kings in love. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> 
If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.